Everybody and welcome to Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and discuss some of humanity's most controversial and intriguing concepts through the lens of skepticism. We have with us Richard, who is excitable, pedantic, and colorful. Wave for the camera, Richard. And Laura, the energetic, passionate chatterbox. And Richard, who is enthusiastic and witty, yet by his own definition, gormless. Today, I've, already, I've already stubbed my elbow on something on the desk just as we've started, so it's already happening. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm glad we're off to a good start. And today we will be discussing God. So grab your English tea or your triple shot caramel mocha with almond milk, get comfy, and join us as we unpack just who exactly this God guy is anyway. So let's get started. How are you guys doing today? Good. Obviously, good. It's, um, it's nighttime here in, in the UK, and obviously you've got plenty of daylight where you are, so it's uh, yeah normally winding down time about now, but otherwise very good, yeah. Yeah, so I should say good evening every time we chat, huh? <laughs> okay, so today we're going to be talking about God, and that is a pretty dang broad subject. So which one of you wants to get started? Uh, I, I think as the only former non-theist, uh, they call uh, him cradle atheist cradle atheist yeah that's uh, that's a new term i've yeah, learned I like recently term. i um yeah i've i think it's a broad subject especially from someone who's from from like me who's not been in a particular religion where there is a god to have a definition of because for me it's not just a creator god it's that god entails you know four and the different Hindu gods and different aspects of gods rather than just a uh, a prime mover creator god. So I, th- I think any conversation about God with believers needs to come from a place of defining what or who they're talking about to begin with. Because I guess for you, Richard, you I guess you've never had your own personal definition of that for you in your own life and you're only ever accessing the idea of God in relation to other people and their ideas about God. Whereas I guess me and me and Laura both had ourselves in the past, our own, yeah, personal definitions of God. So I guess in some ways that might make conversations that you have easier because you're automatically needing to know someone else's definition. Whereas for me and Laura, potentially we, we might have the tendency to input our own biases and ideas in there that might get in the way of understanding other people as, as much as we could do potentially. Yeah, I think sure. that's like, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, they, uh, that, I mean, I have a concept of God. I grew up in England with <clears throat> the Church of England as a predominant religion. And even from like five, six, seven, there was kind of the knowledge of the concept of the Christian God, but without any kind of personal attachment to it. Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna say one thing that I've noticed with growing up, not growing up, but um, having that preconceived notion of God is that anytime you hear someone refer to God or, um, or the concept of a God, like what um, 
Richard said, like you already automatically have these biases that, um, so they might say something like, um, philosophically, you might talk about a deity, like a creator deity. Well, in my mind, and perhaps in Richard's mind, we're already assigning that deity certain characteristics, like all loving, all knowing, um, a personal God, a loving God, something like that. And so, so I remember they, learning about, you know, like Greek gods at school and things and thinking, how yeah. can they have believed in gods that were flawed and had these character traits and that were mean and selfish and other things? Because in my head, God was this all loving, all knowing, all, you know, omnibenevolent uh, being. Um, and I guess it, it's, it was that... It, that difference sort of between God with a capital G and a God with a lowercase G. Um, and obviously now we're all in different places from, from where we're in the past and, and in lots of ways have, I guess, more knowledge um, about sort of those other ideas uh, and what have you. I don't think I had a point. I think I just started talking, hoping a point would occur, but it, it never really did. So I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, I think you actually brought up a really good point because we're talking about this broad concept of a God and we kind of fail to realize that there's a lot of different concepts, like multiple gods. And so when we're going to talk about God as a broad concept, I think we should try and get away from the, the specific Christian definition of what a God is and kind of start expanding on what are the different types of God beliefs. Like, yeah, because um, I, before we started recording, um, I was doing some, I was cheating. I did some Googling. No. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I tried to find if there was any sort of consensus on like, you know, how many gods do people believe in in the world now, you know, at the moment. And there's just no way of knowing. I mean, I know we can talk about even amongst people of the same religion, you know, as many people as belong to that religion, there might be that many versions of that god. And I I think potentially that's maybe overstating it a bit. But um, yeah, I think it's impossible to know as well what things even like in the history of humanity had be considered gods. You know, if people worshipped the sun in the Stone Age, were they worshipping the sun as a god, thinking that the sun had, um, you know, actions that it undertook, or whether it was just this thing that they worshipped because it gave them sunlight and warmth. And, all that, you know, it's. I think it's really impossible to categorise all of it, really. Um, but like you say, try and move away from when we're thinking about God from that Christian monotheistic sort of prejudice that we might have from our sort of western point of view yeah certainly oh, go ahead. i uh, i i think the uh i think again we we need to bring it to a, a conversational point of thing rather than speaking broadly about god or gods if we're speaking to a particular person we need to understand their definition and because as, as richard said with if you're talking about christianity for example that how many different variations or versions or beliefs about just the christian god i mean if you if you if you want to take it really broadly and you don't want to the, commit the not a true scotsman fallacy you've got the jehovah's you witnesses you've got the mormons yeah you've got church of england these are all wildly different variants on the christian god concept and i mean since leaving sim- christianity myself i've had conversations with other christians where I've talked about sort of problems I've had with ideas and whatever. And they've said, I don't think I believe in the God that you don't believe in either. You know, like I've heard that a lot, actually. Believe in that God. Yeah. 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 And so you're right. I think that the, when we're talking to others about God, the important thing is to ask clarifying questions and to ask them to define their God. And so if we're going to converse with them about it or argue with them about it um, or disagree, we have to know what it is that we're disagreeing on. And so I think you bring up a really super good point. I do tend to believe that there are as many gods as there like definitions of a God or concepts of a God, as there are people who believe in a God. 
um, actually as there are people in the world, because even as atheists, yeah. we have concepts of what a God is yeah. or what a God might be. And I think even then they're all different. So Laura, we're, as a, as a former Christian and a former Muslim, yes. traveling between the two, did you find that there was, did you have the same concept of God as just the Abrahamic God, or did you have different concepts of the Abrahamic God moving between the religions? Because lots of people talk, don't they, about like the God of Christianity, Judaism, Islam being the same God just represented to different people in different times, in different ways, and other people consider them completely separate. And yeah, I just sort of butted in before you answered your question there, Richard. Ooh, <laughs> so there's <laughs> there's two different ways that I want to discuss that. So first is the first Richard's question, which was how did I perceive it? But second, and the one that I want to answer first really quickly is um, the way that other people perceive it when they say different gods. So typically when people are saying that, I think they're, they're seeing God as more of like a God character in a book, like God as, a, as, a, um, as an actor or a character. So when you start looking at those characters, they are wildly different characters. The closest two that come together is Judaism and Islam. They have the closest concepts between the three of um, what this God character is. And even then it's wildly different. But then you have the Christian version of that same Abrahamic God. And that character is completely different from the other two religions, um, especially when you bring in the Trinity and stuff like that, which I know all, not all Christians do. But um, so that kind of answers that question in terms of when they say, oh, your God, that's not my God. And two different, it's, they're, they're almost talking about these, these characters or these concepts. But if you're going to talk about, I believe an actual God exists, I don't think Christians, Jews, or Muslims think that there's three separate gods and they're, they're vying for power or one is above the other. Or I think that they know that there's, you know, from their truth perspective, that there's only one God out there and that we're seeing him in three different ways. Um, I don't know if that makes sense the way that I answered it, but. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So getting back to first Richard's question um, about me. So, yeah, they were I definitely had two separate concepts of a God moving from Christianity into Islam. It was the same, like I said, God character. It was more my understanding of the character. But even as a Christian, um, I remember my brother asking me once, like, what I thought about the crucifixion and, like, the purpose of the sacrifice. And I had this wildly different interpretation that <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard any other Christian offer because I didn't believe in the Trinity and I didn't believe that Jesus was God. Um, and that was one of my struggles with Christianity that made it so easy for me to transfer into Islam. So for me, it was, um, well, people put on the, um, the perspective or people put on God, the whole need for, for sacrifice. Right. And God was saying, no, this is the only sacrifice I need. I don't need any sacrifices like that will not save your sins. So this is the last sacrifice. And he was like removing that need for sacrifice. So in my twisted, weird rationalization, it made perfect sense, um, for why God would willingly let this happen. But it wasn't this like it wasn't the same explanation as your typical Christian because of that cognitive dissonance. And I really wanted to get the um, okay, I don't believe in the Trinity, but I want to believe in Christianity. How do I reconcile this? And that was my nonsensical reconciliation, if you will. So when I moved into Islam, it was more I felt I got to get to know God on a more personal level, quote unquote. Now, granted, I don't believe in God now, but at the time, um. I got to know him more personally and understand who he actually was versus who Christianity was telling me he was. 
Do you think you if do you'd have... Sorry, Richard. Do you think if you'd have come across a, a, a sect of Christianity that didn't hold Jesus as God, do you think that would have swayed you to remain Christian? Oh, probably. I had no desire to leave Christianity when I stumbled across Islam. Like, it was a surprise to me. Um, and the other thing was like completely different religions. If, if I had talked to a Buddhist and they had convinced me of some sort of spirituality, like Richard, I know that you've studied a lot with Buddhism and stuff. I probably would have at that point let go of the God character, but bought into all that spiritual woo and all the stuff that goes along with it. So I really did have that strong desire to hold on to spirituality. So I think I was just ripe for, you know, the first convincing argument that came along, <laughs> you know? It's funny you should say that because it was actually it was actually the woo the spiritual woo that which kept me kind of arm's length from Buddhism because I've I've studied the scriptures for a long time and meditation I love meditation I spoke about it briefly the other night when we were on Oz's show and but it's a it, it was a kind of I couldn't get past the reincarnation and and the divas and the God characters and the realms of existence. I just couldn't push myself into that kind. Of, and I think if I had done, I might have dived headfirst into it. Absolutely. Uh, certainly I had a friend who I started a meditation group with uh, and he became a monk. He went on to become a monk. Oh, wow. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a shame really because you had the hairstyle already thought of. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I uh, think- Go ahead. Go on, Laura. No, I was just going to piggyback on what you say that I think um, what brings us into or out of religion really is our ability to process whether or not we believe in like the spiritual aspect of it. Um, so in that respect, it's almost less about God and whether or not a God exists and more about the unknown and what we're willing to accept as individuals about the unknown. And then God is just this character that comes into it and just plays a part. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, the, the point you make there about like having to accept the spiritual aspects of stuff is really interesting because in lots of ways I could even, you know, see myself going back to the church I went to because I love the people and I love the sound mm-hmm. of the words of the services and, you know, like the community and the music and all of those sorts of, sorts of aspects to it. Um, actually, probably just because I, I was raised in that sort of environment, it just, it still comforts me. You know, I was, um, I won't go into details of it, but I was recently in a conversation um online with a lot of people and a, a prayer was said um as part of the the thing and even the the prayer that was said as part of this meeting with lots of people still really sort of calmed me down or whatever else because I'm used to that I don't know if it's just programming you know social programming or whatever but um yeah it, I remember when um I must have been about eight or nine years old and one it, this is linking back to something you said ages ago Laura um I, one of the questions that I asked my vicar at the time at church was if God can do anything, how come, and this is sort of slightly off topic, but that's how we go. Uh, if God can do anything, how come Jesus had to die in order to, you know, save us from our sins and whatever else? Right. And his answer was basically like, well, the Jews at the time sacrificed things to God to ask for forgiveness. So it was like a bit of a metaphor for that uh, he didn't use the word metaphor but his, his explanation was that it was like a metaphor for the sacrifices the Jews had so they'd understand what Jesus was about and why he was there and stuff um and I think in in lots of ways you don't often have 
opportunities to think like that when you go to religious services week on week or when you go you know surrounded by religious people because it's sort of not the way that you're trained to think about things and consider things those sorts of big ideas um it's easy to talk about an all-powerful god without really thinking about what that means and what that entails in yeah a, yeah in not following it to its logical conclusion yeah Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off and stop you all together. No, 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 I'd, I'd sort of finished. I was glad for the intro. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to uh, say regarding the uh, your feeling comfort in church and things, that I've visited a lot of churches and temples and mosques and things, and I think the the kind of, my mind's eye, a church of uh, the, the one we got married in, me and my wife, we are, it was a, it's a small congregation, really quiet, traditional spire church, and that, and I loved it there. I love that the silence and the the I enjoyed attending the services there just for the silence and wow. things. I mean, the singing bit got because they were kind of the traditional oh, 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 kind of hymns, you know, and all, and all that. But not really me, but <laughs> but the, the the quiet bits. I I've really enjoyed going. I mean, and then I've been to the kind of happy clappy big warehouse churches. And I can't stand them. I can't be doing with all this hand raising and praise a lot. <laughs> that kind of, that kind of thing. But, uh, this, this, I think for anyone, even if you've not had any kind of uh, Christian upbringing, there's there's nothing wrong with going to churches and enjoying churches and enjoying the architecture and the, that sort of thing. Because they built the and made special places, whether or not you agree with the reason why people yeah. built them special, it's yeah because um, I was I often think about the concept of gods um, and I don't know if this is pithy so please tell me if I'm being pithy um, <laughs> but I <laughs> I often I'll unpith it for you later <laughs> absolutely um, I I often think about like you know looking back in time in history and we've talked about you know the Greek gods and the Roman gods and the Norse gods and all this lot and I can understand why then when they didn't understand about electrons bashing together in clouds, creating electrical charge and forming lightning, that that would be this unbelievable thing to happen. And there'd be no way of them understanding scientifically what's going on there. And this story and the poem, especially in societies which were, you know, storytelling societies that, you know, their culture was built around oral traditions and stuff. Um, why it would make sense to have these stories about the gods being angry in the sky or whatever it was. Um, and I think it's, now as a as an atheist and a skeptic i can see the christian god that i used to believe in almost in exactly the same way like in exactly the same category not necessarily saying that it's just the lightning and the the wind and whatever else but in a in a yeah slightly more built up broader sense grandiose Uh, yeah 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 uh, the same category and i and i never could see that when i was a christian it was always like because obviously we've got it right here in Christianity <laughs> and we learn about these other gods, lowercase g in lots of other ways. Um, but I think it, it, it's just crazy difficult to analyze your own viewpoint when you're in that environment. Yeah. How about you, Laura? Do you, did you have kind of a God of the gaps conception of, of your God? Now you've left religion. Do you, do you view that in the same way as that it's, it is just an ever shrinking uh god of the gaps really you mean like how do i perceive the the concept of the christian god now yeah yeah the god of the gaps yeah absolutely i think that um there is sort of this i would say competition between what they call like religion and science i don't think the two are mutually exclusive but because of how 
God has this explanatory power for where we come from and who we are and what makes us us, the more that science challenges that and the more that science answers those questions with hard evidence, the less really wiggle room there is for a God. So I think that um, the Christian God, even in just the last 50 years, has evolved so much to fit into our current concepts of reality that as our scientific concepts advance, our concepts of God evolve and change and the character changes. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that more than anything else, and being an anthropologist, going back to the very beginning and seeing how it evolves from, from the earliest civilizations till today, the fact that the God character so perfectly adapts to whatever our current cultural understanding is, is to me blatant proof that whatever this God character is, even if there is a deity out there somewhere, this God character isn't it. So yeah. I think, that, sorry, I think it's interesting the the difference as well, obviously with a, a transatlantic um, panel that we've got ourselves set up here. <laughs> because in America, because of that issue of, you know, the science sort of taking away this and taking away that from the Christian God that you do have lots of Christians in America. It's not just America, obviously, but lots of Christians in America. Would you say because of that, all of this science is wrong, regardless of what it tells us, what the evidence is, all of that sort of stuff. All of this science is wrong because God is right. Whereas I think me and Richard are lucky that we live in a, in a country where for the most part, Christianity completely has adapted to our scientific understanding. You know, most Christians in the Church of England and the Catholic Church and most Protestant churches and uh, and what have you, um, you know, accept most of Big Bang cosmology and evolution and all those sorts of things. And it's it's interesting the difference between, uh, yeah, those conceptions of God. You know, the Church of England obviously has issues and there's internal politics and stuff, but, you know, most Anglicans in the UK um, are at least moderately pro LGBT issues and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can have gay clergy members and um, just as one example, whereas, you know, you look in the Bible and can see very clearly that that's not what, that's not the, the tale the Bible tells. Oh, of sure. that um, And like you say, it's um, through history, God has adapted, God mm-hmm. has adapted um, to fit the moral standing of the day because people want to keep this God idea but also have their own ideas about what is moral and immoral. And it's that sort of reconciliation of those two ideas that everybody has in their own minds. And I was exactly the same when I was a Christian. Um, But it's, yeah, it's just different in different places at different times. Can I just be nitpicky on a couple of points? One from you and one that Laura raised as well. Oh, (laughs) uh, bring it on. um, First of all, I, I think I agree with you that overall, uh, that's the case in Britain, but I do also yeah. think I know lots of evangelicals who mm. don't accept evolution and things. Oh, so oh yeah, I didn't I want think, to. I, if I expressed that as a sort of blanket statement for everyone, I certainly yeah didn't mean no. to. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think that's probably. Because, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this kind of stuff for twenty five years, so I think that's probably because I'm a little bit more well travelled than your average kind of <laughs> commentator well, well, on, on this thing. <laughs> so I do know lots of people who are like that in Britain, but also just nipping back to something Laura said as well, mm-hmm. when she was saying that science challenged uh, the God question, I don't think it quite challenges it. And I think that's, I think that is a misconception uh, that a lot of Christians have. And that's why they see it as a, a, a kind of one or the other thing. Because... Like a battle. Yeah, I, th- I think 
I think science definitely makes God shrink the gaps that God God could go, go, but I don't think it does it purposefully. I think it, it's not going out there to disprove God. It's just doing what it does, and as a consequence, the gaps that God can fit into shrinks. And I think that it's the same kind of thing as that skepticism is often accused of from uh, theists that it go it they say it goes out to try and debunk things and it doesn't skepticism like is not trying about, to disprove god yeah it's yeah. not trying to debunk things it's just looking to see if there is evidence for the claim and that's it no i no, think no. you're i think you're spot on there and um just like just to clarify when i say that like science is challenging the god character i don't mean science is challenging whether or not there is a god and i don't yeah. mean that it's doing it deliberately either I just mean that we have these things written out in the Bible that like, hey, this is the way it is that go against nature and what, what we observe and what we know. Yeah. And so I think that the more we learn, like you said, the more it's naturally challenged. Um, but also, I don't think that science even touches on whether or not there is a God. And um, and I don't even know that there's a way to right now that that we know of. To even <laughs> well, I think so I've had conversations with um, with various family members as well about this. Um, specifically of well if god is supernatural the only way we could it, these words weren't used but if god is supernatural we only have natural ways of investigating things mm-hmm. so how would we be able to you know investigate god you know how would we be able to prove it of course we can't so therefore god exists it's like it's like that sort of argument uh, oh, i don't know is, therefore god yeah yeah it, it's which is a, a fair enough argument and it very conceivably could be a supernatural god out there that we don't know of Sure. The problem, the problem is that your theists don't accept that God, or not all. Th- most theists don't accept that God, because what most theists do, they have a concept of a God who interacts with the world, mm-hmm. and if and God interacts with the world, that interaction should be able to be tested. Yeah. And when it has been tested, uh, with, for example, prayer, when they've actually done studies. Uh, for to see if prayer works it's come out at no better than chance right so you know when oh when when no i was just gonna say in some cases it's come out worse than chance because in some cases the studies show that when a person knows that they're being prayed for yeah they actually did worse yeah because it's always it's all in that being taken care of the same study i think by the templeton foundation i think it was who carried it out that found that it worked worse than chance when people knew about it and yep. at chance when they didn't <laughs> Odd how that happens. a lot of people don't like that a lot of uh, skeptics or atheists don't like the templeton foundation because it's a christian organization but the, uh, to my mind i don't agree with what they're trying to do because they're trying to prove god but at least they're honest about the way they conduct the research overall mm-hmm. and they're sure putting they're... the results out there whether they're good or bad for their cause. yeah definitely yeah and it's admirable, isn't it? You know, if you're you're in that position to say, well, yeah, I believe this stuff, but let's actually try and, and get to a point where we yeah. can say this is the proof. Yeah, it's admirable. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a, I mean, I'm not, a, I don't know much about this area. I'm, I'm so you, either one of you may correct me on this, but I think the, uh, a lot of the early archaeological work that was carried out in the Middle East and things was, which, which, contributed largely to the idea that there there wasn't archaeological evidence for uh, uh, God. uh, I think a lot of those things, when they went out there doing that, 
they were trying to prove God. They were trying to find the evidence for God and mm -hmm. they just couldn't find it. It wasn't there. They were trying to find the evidence of the Exodus and of things like this, and they, they couldn't find that evidence. It's my understanding as well that, like, because they went there for that purpose, and again, I'm not an expert in this area, so uh, I may be wrong in various <laughs> things, but because they went there for that purpose, like certain bits of evidence that proved contrary to their their mission and their, their state goal was destroyed in the process as well. Like it was purposely like covering their tracks as in like, yeah, this actually shows that this wasn't indeed true. And so let's get rid of it. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And that talks a lot about like the cultural narratives that we build where we present whatever evidence, and this goes outside of God. Maybe this is a little bit off track, but um, it really goes to speak to how we are so caught up in our own personal narratives that we pick and choose what information is and isn't viable information and as a result i think a lot of people who have these really hardcore ideas and not just christians muslims hindus yeah. buddhists everybody they'll they'll pick and choose that little bit of information that supports Definitely. their claims and then the rest of the information just gets put off to the side uh, and uh, again laura might have a better insight into this having come from that kind of background but it's it's from the interaction I've had with Muslims, they tend to have do have a different approach to it. Whereas Christians tend to, on the most part, battle science, uh, especially in the states where uh, you're from and where mm -hmm. I personally am familiar with kind of having interlocutors interlocutors from the states who are Christian right. uh, more than pretty much in Britain recently. Um, that they, they tend to have this battle against science whereas i think islam as a more uh the approach there is more to say that science actually backs up what we're saying mm -hmm. and and i don't know if that's your your opinion or what you found when you were a muslim as, in well, addition as well i think historically islam has been a very scientific mathematical oh, definitely. intellectually powerful culture uh, and i think that possibly plays then into the narrative nowadays but i'll let laura actually answer the question again i, I apologize no, no no i mean like i am not like all that is like i'm not the only expert on i'm not even an expert on islam let alone the only one so you guys can interject whenever you want but um so Islam deliberately teaches the, the seeking of knowledge. So um, a lot of the, the verses are vague enough that um, it doesn't make scientific claims that are so clear that it can be tested. I mean, there's some... Very clever of Allah. Very, very clever. clever. He's a very smart book. gentleman, that one. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, there are some that can be tested. You talk about things like um, supernatural stuff, like the moon being broken in half or shattered and then God putting it back together. Or um, the ride that Muhammad took to Jerusalem, right? So there are some very non-scientific, very supernatural claims. And there's claims about the mountains being pegs and the holding the earth still and stuff like that. It's not true. Yeah. Um, so there are there are some um, non-scientific stuff in the Quran. However, the teachings are that you should seek knowledge and that you should challenge your beliefs, and that the more you seek knowledge and the more you challenge your beliefs, the more that um, Allah will reinforce those beliefs and make your your faith stronger and so the teaching now this isn't every muslim's teaching there are cultures that have gone so bass backwards that they disregard all of this stuff um like um the compulsion of the hijab and stuff like that so they've they've got it all bass backwards but speaking of the actual core teachings in the quran um the the whole focus is on seeking knowledge and being wise and testing and um 
and like there's there's very clear verses that say um i can't remember what the actual verse is i wish i could like off the top of my head but it's it talks about how foolish the person is who doesn't seek knowledge and they really really embraced that during their golden age um and it was just one leader whose name I can't remember right now who was able to just crumble that along with other social, political, um, and spiritual dynamics that were happening at the time that just crushed um, that Islamic golden age and that seeking for knowledge. But it's still there, you know. And to, to be fair as well to Islam, the, uh, the, and, and, and again to show that, you know, sometimes religions can do good things, even if it's for the wrong reasons. It's that 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 instruction to go out and seek knowledge did lead to some fantastic scientific uh, breakthroughs. Algebra. Uh, yeah, exactly. Number zero. Massive fun. Yeah, and and it did, and and that's an example of when religion can. Uh, I mean, we have modern examples of like charity work and things carried out by religions, but. And, and community where people might not find that elsewhere. But that's an example of when religion does something right, even if it's for the wrong reasons. It's like that thing about <laughs> like architecture and art and things and music, yeah. you know, in the past where people have been sponsored by a church or a clergy person, or, you know, people have been inspired because of religious stories and tales that have created these amazing pieces of architecture and artwork and uh, sculpture and, and whatever else. Uh, but yeah, it, it certainly doesn't make an any less amazing and awe-inspiring because of their their origin and and what have you. Uh, And going back to something you said, um, Laura, um, about the uh, certain things that are unscientific in the, in the Quran Mm -hmm. um, about like the mountains being pegs or whatever. um, I think it's really easy to then, like we said about like God adapting holy books as well, adapting to the narrative of the day and our scientific understanding, because like, you know, the story of this that doesn't combat science was, literally true and the one that does go against what we understand scientifically was actually just a uh, a parable or a yeah it was a a metaphor for what was going on it was a a, you know because jesus taught in parables so obviously there are stories in the bible which were also taught in the same way because jesus is god and that's how god tells stories and you know it's um it's really easy to fit those things into uh, yeah our own way of, of thinking about things and understanding yeah i think that's really interesting i think it's a good point and maybe a good opportunity to um maybe take a step back since we're talking about um how god adapts Ooh, my camera's getting all blurry and not blurry um how god adapts to the culture and stuff is to maybe have us talk a little bit about the god concept in general like how it evolved how it affects us today what can we know about it as skeptics what do we and don't we um accept about the god concept um, are you suggesting laura that we actually stay on topic of this episode? <laughs> <laughs> hey there's a reason you chose me to to run this <laughs> i'm steering the ship we're getting back on course <laughs> drop the coconuts <laughs> we're sailing okay so i don't want to take over too much in terms of like the whole anthropological historical thing which is kind of my passion i'm curious um from each of you guys, what your overall concepts of um, not God, but God as a concept, what are your guys' understanding of that? Where did it come from? What is the importance of it? Why do we still have a God at this day and age? Do you want to go first, Richard? <laughs> um, I, I can do, but I, uh, I may be cheating a little bit because I'm actually doing a degree in religion, philosophy, and ethics. That's not <laughs> That's called using your resources. Yeah, um, uh, uh, but independent of that, I uh, 
I think I've always kind of had the idea that people came up with these concepts and, and you can tell by looking at the artwork of kind of, don't want to say proto-humans, but certainly early humans before civilization about 50,000 years ago. And so the hominids. artwork... Yeah, and, and the artworks and that they were creating, they were creating carvings from deer antlers and things. The anthropomorphized. I'll let one of the people who've already actually got a degree pronounce it. From <laughs> <laughs> but they, 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 were, they were viewing the world through that. And I think it's only a natural step to go from that, from to go from creating artworks and things like that and trying to understand the world around you through that to creating a wider concept and seeing the reason behind that and seeing, seeing that interaction as having a purpose. And, and certainly in, in Britain, in some of the, uh, the Stone Age uh, settlements that are still around, we can see primitive drawings that uh, scientists think align to the understanding they had of the world at the time. I, mean, I thought we were going on a little tour then. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of my, my understanding, uh, which may be completely wrong, but it's it's kind of the view I've always had, not being kind of indoctrinated into a religion as to why. Uh, religions formed it was just a natural process of people trying to formulate an understanding of the world around them I think something you said as well about purpose is is key to a lot of it um I think because we all have a a self-aggrandized view of what we are in the universe when actually we're these teeny tiny little specks of nothing and I think we all have again wide blanket statement but all have this sort of desire to have a purpose and have this higher purpose you know I'm meant for more than this or as part of a bigger picture a jigsaw piece in this grand um I'm mixing my metaphors now but um and I think you know having a an external outsourced body which gives you that purpose I think is quite an easy thing to fall into um and certainly then when you build up organized religions that have a very set idea of what a god is that have this this clear purpose mixed in with societal pressures peer pressure family pressures traditions and culture when it's all intermingled and intertwined especially with like theocracies and you know political and and physical power comes into it um i think it's you know in a lot of ways up until modern times you know inescapable um especially like i say when it's along with that idea of of purpose and, and drive. Yeah, it was, wasn't Leviticus pretty much a, a list of rules thou that were formulated to control people? Well, and they were also, um, they were, yeah, they were rules formulated to control people, but they were also um, a reflection of that culture at that time. Like what was acceptable yeah. and unacceptable in that culture at that time. So from our perspective, it's completely brutal. But at the time, God's like, yeah, do it this way. <laughs> right if you're gonna beat your slave just make sure he doesn't die yeah please go into this village and to kill everybody Every- including <laughs> the male children but just take the virgin girls for your own that's absolutely right? fine don't worry i'll sort it all out <laughs> later i got this <laughs> just kill them all as long as you don't eat any shellfish while you're there we are a okay right don't mix your don't mix your fabrics so so from laura uh from from the professional standpoint what's your opinion on it 
Well, so I think you really hit the nail on the head in terms of um, the explanatory power of God. Um, and I think that other Richard, you also hit the nail on the head with the needing a purpose, needing a, a bigger explanation. So I don't see religion or God as a single thing or body. Um, it's, it's sort of an emergent um, sort of phenomenon that came out of culture. And it's not, it's, it's sort of like when you talk about um, Marxism and you, if you look at it purely in terms of economics, you're missing the point because there's the socio-political, economic, um, cultural, um, all these other facets to consider um, in terms of that particular philosophy. So now you talk about religion and you have where do we come from? Where are we going? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to behave? What is our purpose here? And you have these blends of all these different questions. And some religions answer some of them. Some religions might answer more. But, um, but there's no one size fits all in terms of religion. So I think the earliest religions, the way that they evolved, were explanatory. Um, it started out with things like spirits. It was very like um, animistic. And then it went into shamanistic, where it's like, well, not only are there these spirits, but now we have this guy over here that when he gets high on mushrooms, he can commune with them. And then so you get these increasingly complex um, religious systems that... There are still people like that around those things that they can communicate with spirits and... Yeah, and there's still, there's still animistic religions out there. So you look at some of these tribes that um, haven't been introduced to this sort of monotheistic idea, and they have these very small um, groups of people. They don't have these big civilizations to rule, um, which is a whole other topic. Um, but they still adhere to the, um, the very more personal nature spirit or um, what do they call it? The ancestor worship where okay, our ancestors go into the ground and then their spirits are around somewhere. They don't have this concept of this father God or this um, overarching authority that tells us how we're supposed to live our lives. Um, so you can still see those like proto-religions today and we can kind of study them today and then um, extrapolate back to the time to, hey, maybe this is a lot how some of these other religions were um, and kind of fill in the gaps where we don't have knowledge, um, which obviously is speculative, but um where you start to see more um, authoritarian gods is where you start to see bigger societies. And it's interesting that that God character emerged at roughly the same time that our cultures started forming these bigger and more complex societies. And now all of a sudden- It's interesting you say that because I was going to say that in Britain, the the Neolithic period, when when the smaller kind of wandering herdsmen started forming small towns and- uh, having to protect areas mm-hmm. and w- it, it, the the religion first kind of took on an organized form was at exactly the same time that warfare became a thing between rival towns because until that time they didn't need to fight because they were right. just wandering herdsmen it wasn't until they had territories and they had resources that they needed to protect mm-hmm. that the people started fighting amongst themselves and that is when uh religions first started to be i'm not correlating the two but it they, they no, I think there's some ar- rough correlations you can make they, they, they seem to arise at the at the same time for the same reasons yeah and um going back to that 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 brings up a really good point that the first early gods that you would call authoritarian gods i mean obviously we have like the pantheon gods right like the 
the Greek gods and the Roman and the um, and the Egyptian, where there's just tons and tons and tons of gods, the Hindu gods. And the holy um, Hebrew gods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So putting all that, well, okay, so that's what I was about to get to, right? So um, in the very, very beginning, um, even with the Hebrews, the gods were tribal gods. So when someone would say that my God's the best or my God is the leader or whatever, um, it was kind of like my football team is the best football team or my nation is the, the best, most successful nation. My dad's um, bigger than your dad. Yeah, yeah, my dad can kick your dad's ass. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, yeah, the early um, Jewish God was like a war God and um, he fit all of the descriptions of like your typical war God. And because um, we see that as well in the Ten Commandments, don't we? You know, there is no God before God, like the one true, as in like, you know, it's, it's part of that, you know, there are all these other gods, obviously, but I'm the God. I'm like, I'm like the man. Oh, yeah. they were widely accepted in in those uh, early uh, the the time when the Bible was first written. The first couple of hundred years of the Bible, they, there was no doubt that there was more than one God. That wasn't the question. Oh, absolutely. The, the question was who is the who is the daddy? <laughs> yeah. Well, and so now you have this concept of this monotheistic religion, and now we have to re-explain the past and make it fit our narrative, and we forget yeah. that. I mean. Let's pretend, for example, that um, there is only one God and that it is the God of the Bible and that the Christians or Muslims or Jews, just pick one, have it exactly right. You still can't deny that going back into that period of time, those people viewed that God differently, right? Mm. So we've reinvented our past to fit this narrative that we have of this sky daddy. And I know that that's a bit of a straw man oversimplifying, but um, this father figure, an authoritarian God, um, when really he was just the patron god of this tribe of israel and so yeah he was authoritarian over them but they never had this conception at that time that that god should be followed by all these other people did you know that as a christian by the way laura that that information about the early hebrews and their idea about god and gods and no 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 so it was finding one question after another after another as i was reading the bible and as i was going to church i would just start looking into little things here and there um the first one was um uh, whether or not the Bible was the inspired word of God. Because I had read the Bible before I became a Christian. I was like, I already know that that, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> right? So, yeah, no, I, I, that was something I stumbled across. I think I was Muslim at the time that I stumbled across that, actually. How about you, Richard? No, no, certainly not. And I, I think that's telling, isn't it? Like, it's indicative of that sort of lack of wanting to explore any sort of flaws or alternatives or uh, you know even the fact that I I didn't really consider when I was a Christian you know who wrote the Bible or the you know the the question of biblical authority and 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 the truth of the Bible and the stories in there because when you trust people who are in charge and are teaching you things like they're telling you this stuff's right and um yeah my eyes have been well and truly open to all those sorts of things yeah since becoming uh, a skeptic and uh, investigating more and i think it's just fascinating and you, you can see it all makes sense you know moving from that that sort of earlier idea of all those other gods to where we are now with religions across the world it, it makes sense uh, and it is really really fascinating from all those sorts of different you know societal and cultural um ideas it just then saddens me when there are people still all over the world who dedicate their lives to these 
these gods and these religious ideas um when obviously to my mind and, and both of your minds that they're, they're just wrong about those ideas um and yeah having religious ideas and a belief in god can lead to some brilliant and wonderful things like you were talking about richard but I, I just wonder what the world would be like if actually we we finally got to the point where people realized um or understood the the truth of the world and understood these ideas about gods in a in a sort of it would be impossible i guess but like an unjaded sort of unbiased light and you know you know what would societies be like moving forward what would the world be like star trek (laughs) (laughs) do you want to talk on this first richard because i have something i want to say but i want to give you the opportunity to talk so i'm gonna let you take it first and then then i want to no 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 i'd I'd sort of come to an end so no go for it okay well i mean in other richard did you want to uh... oh sorry (laughs) yeah (laughs) That that could get confusing. I know. I should call you like Richard One and Richard Two, or no, no. I've, 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 no, I think uh, I think that I think one thing I do want to come back to, if you remind me in a bit before we finish, mm-hmm. is because I've, I can just hear the theists screaming at us while they're watching this, saying, <laughs> "But you haven't talked about the philosophical argument for God, and they're the important things." But right. <laughs> uh, but the, but to me the. Those arguments have developed as well over time. Mm-hmm. They, they, they didn't start. If you look at the the uh, the the actual scriptures from the time, there were no complex philosophical arguments for gods. They were later thinkers who were trying to explain these religious ideas to themselves oh, and their audience. And is it yeah, obviously supposed- I ask the question like? if we need philosophical arguments for the existence of God, surely that even in and of itself is a, is a piece of evidence to disprove the existence of gods. Like, or at least I, disprove I a specific philosoph- claim. Having, yeah, having, having, like, sorry, go on. Having looked at a lot of, if not most of the philosophical arguments for God, I, I don't think we need worry about, <laughs> about them anyway, because they're not very good, really. I, 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 I fail to see how someone can be convinced, and I'm going to use this particular example because I'm in a long email exchange with someone at the minute Bad using luck. this particular example, the Kalam cosmological argument. Mm-hmm. And I, I fail to see how that can convince anyone. It just, it, I find it mind-boggling. It doesn't lead uh, anywhere either, does it? Like, it doesn't no, get anywhere. <laughs> okay, so that no. that is where I got to cut in really quick because that is something that I think as humans that we need to... Like if we're going to be skeptical, it's something that we need to understand about ourselves and about each other is that um, like we can look at an argument and say, wow, that's a really bad argument. Like that shouldn't even be an argument or we don't need to waste our time on that. But as long as there are still people who accept that argument as a good one, we need to worry about it and we need to talk about it. I don't think we need to know like how to elegantly and academically address every single bad philosophical argument but I think it's good to at least throw them out there and talk about them. It's been yeah. my life for 25 years talking yeah. about it. So. And nobody, it's, it's still around. And it, it yeah. Richard, that is an old, the Kalam cosmological argument has been around. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon because the vast majority of people on this planet are not philosophizers and the vast majority no. aren't even like academically minded. And I'm not calling anyone stupid or unintelligent. I'm saying there's methods by which you examine um, arguments and they, yeah. they can be very complex and the average person is going to hear an argument and it's going to either feel or sound right or feel or sound wrong. And if it sounds wrong, they're just going to dismiss it. And if it sounds right, 
it's going to take a little bit more for them to dismiss it, like either counter evidence or a better argument. They're more likely to just take it in. And especially I think the cosmological argument is one of those though that can sound really, it sounds sensible sounds on the surface. Yeah. yeah, it's a mess, but it sounds really good. <laughs> so, um, Jilliver, I'll start calling you guys by your last name. Do you want to quickly go over what some of those philosophical arguments are? And then we can just kind of briefly discuss maybe why we don't give them much credence. Uh, or is that for another? Oh, we should probably save that for another podcast, huh? Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, think I was definitely a. Uh... I think it's yeah. <laughs> I think it's sufficient uh, for now because I, I really I'm really enjoying the way the conversation is going. I don't want to bog it down in all that philosophical thing. I think it's sufficient to mention it, and and that was what I wanted to do. Just bring just because I could see people screaming at the TVs or the phones or whatever they're watching this on and and kind of uh, saying, yeah, but you've, you've not mentioned that. And I just wanted to bring it to the fore that we are aware of those things. Okay, but so... Me, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to finish by saying that to me, the, the kind of the, the conversation we're having is far more interesting than those philosophical arguments. But... Oh, that is entirely subjective. Okay, <laughs> so for everybody listening... We are not going to hit on every single subject about God in the first episode, but we do have a long list of episodes. And while not all of them are about God, there are going to be quite a few that touch on the subject over and over again. So there's going to be a lot of overlap Um, and philosophy and some of the philosophical arguments will be um, episodes that we specifically focus on um, because that's going to take some time to unpack and to talk about. I think it's probably noteworthy as well to sort of, put on the table that you know we are a a, a group of skeptics mm-hmm. um with no representation from you know the other side um yep. but we've all in various sorts of means and guises been on the other side and i saw we sort of bring those hats with us i guess when we're having these conversations yeah and not every single um discussion has to have representation from every single perspective oh, no. um although i, I think that it'd be kind of cool occasionally to have somebody on that um kind of challenge our views or have like an opposing view but no this is kind of our opportunity to say as skeptics um this is our stance this is what we believe this is what we think kind of unchallenged um like it or not but it's also our chance to see where we disagree or where um we can come up with questions for each other because not all just like every christian is different every atheist is different every skeptic is different so um i think that we I mean, just from this discussion, we all three have very different backgrounds um, in regards to God. So, yeah. Yeah, And also, I think it's very important that we, that for me anyway, I don't know whether you two agree with me and feel free to disagree, but I think these discussions aren't about trying to reach any kind of conclusion. We're not trying to say... My zero conclusions were made here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not. We're not trying to go out and put forward the opinion that God definitely doesn't exist. That's the end of it. We're just talking about the idea. That's all we're doing. We're just having a conversation, and we welcome disagreement and we welcome comments from Absolutely. people who may have opposing views. And we're not making arguments. Like I'm not sitting here saying this is why there's no God or anything like that. We're just shooting the shit. And so um, it'd be interesting to see how people react to that. Like, oh, well, you said this. Did you really mean that? Or, you know, make it into this really, is it going to become this really broad, more academic discussion? Or is it just going to be like a casual conversation? Awesome. 
All right. So are we ready to wrap this one up? We are at about like a little bit less than an hour. So yeah. Yeah. All right. So today we talked about God. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about to kind of close it up? Any closing thoughts? I'm good. Yeah, me too. I think we've we've had a good conversation and I think we've certainly got a good leap pad to jump on if we have any further conversation on the same subject. Fantastic. So if you're listening to this right now and this spurred any questions or anything that you want to hear more about, if it spurred any topic ideas, um, let us know and we'll add it to our list or we can engage with it and um, have some fun with it. So we are Laura. Richard. And Richard. And this is a Skeptic Hangout. Until next time. Keep questioning. Interrogate your beliefs. And stay skeptical. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.